For those of you who love Christmas, you'll absolutely love this true story. This is a true story. There is a family in Australia named the Richards family, and they wanted to set the Guinness Book of World Records for the most lights on their house. And so get this, they, they wrapped their house with 331,038 bulbs to be exact. Now, that's a lot of Christmas lights, right? Now, never mind the finances of what that's going to look like or the time that it's going to take, but have you ever, like, on your Christmas tree when the strand of lights go out and you have to, like, go to every little one? Could you imagine if that happened? What a nightmare. Well, just like any uh, other family, there was a a family in New York that said, listen, we're not going to have anybody in Australia holding that record. We're going to bring that back to the United States of America. So there's a family in New York called the Gay Family, and they decorated their house with 346,283 lights. So they just upped the ante a little bit, about 40,000 more lights. Now, that would be uh, a cool story to end there, but you know that it, things get competitive, right? So the Richards family said, nope, we're going to bring it back to Australia. So what they did is they brought in another 200,000 lights. So we're, we're like in the half a million amount of lights right now. And so this true story, this is what their house looks like. Uh, you can take a peek right here. Uh, I don't have access. Oh, there you go, right there. That's what their house looks like in Australia. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? I mean, come on. That's just crazy. Well, again, in the spirit of Christmas and uh, wanting to hold the record, it comes back to America and the gay family in New York up the ante now into 601,736 lights. It didn't just stop there. Uh, They're also that family where you pull up and you put on the AM station ride and it plays the music and it kind of shows. They had 200 songs, all top 40 hits on this thing. Two acres, 29 miles worth of Christmas wire. This is what their house looked like right there. Can you believe that? Now, for those of you who are like me and hate Christmas, this is my house right here. (laughs) See that? That right there is a snowman. It's not even Santa. Okay? Ain't going to be no Christmas lights at my house. That's true. (laughs) But you know what happens is I, I think that when it comes to Christmas, uh, we all get into the hustle and bustle. We get into the Christmas parties and, and the work parties and the ugly sweater parties and the moving of the elves at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean, parents. And we forget the true meaning behind Christmas. And, and today my hope is, is that we can dig into a, an unlikely story with some characters that God used to bring attention to Jesus, who I believe is the reason for the season. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I ask that you would be with us today as we move forward in understanding your word and your goodness. Lord, we thank you for what this this season means for those of us who have put our faith in you. And God, for those who maybe haven't, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would show us how good you are, that you loved us so much that you would step down from heaven, that you would come in the form of flesh as a baby, miraculously living a perfect life going to the cross willingly to die a sinner's death, and God, defeating death by raising from the grave so that we could be in relationship with you. God, we honor you, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, This morning we're going to hang out in Matthew chapter 2, so if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to pick one up. They're free out here. We'd love for you to start getting into God's Word. And this is where we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it says this. 
It says, about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So the first unlikely group of of guys that we're going to see in the Bible bringing attention to Jesus are these Wise men. Now, uh, there is a lot of debate and a lot of theories and a lot of scholars who have weighed in on just who these wise men were, where they, where they were from. But as we read about them in Matthew chapter 2, Matthew is very vague. But one thing that we do know from reading this is that they were very influential and they were used by God to bring attention to Jesus. And so the first thing that we're going to see here today is that the wise men demonstrated the surprising true meaning of Christmas by seeking Jesus. Again, I've lost control. I have a curse with this thing, so if you want to follow along with me up there, we're at our first point. The wise men demonstrated the surprising true meaning of Christmas by seeking Jesus. Now, uh, it's, it's probably understood that these wise men were very educated men. Uh, that they had studied Old Testament scripture, they had known about this prophecy of a, a coming Messiah, and even though they weren't necessarily religious, they would have known because they were very well educated. In fact, if you wanted to go uh, back and take a look in Numbers chapter 24, verses 17, there was a prophecy by Balaam who talked about this star rising in, in uh, Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. And so what we see is these men were motivated to go and find out about Jesus. Now, you know, we, we look at their journey as this uh, kind of wonderful Hallmark story, don't we? Anybody here, you Christmas lovers, you know Hallmark, right? You love Hallmark, especially around this time. Have you, I just have one question for you who love Hallmark. It, it, is it weird to you that it's always the same 10 actors on every movie, right? It's so weird, and you know why that is? Is because those 10 people actually love Christmas more than you. But scholars would have estimated that this would have taken them uh, some 750 to 1,000 miles. And you see, this isn't back when we had a vehicle to jump into or an airplane to go. They literally would have taken a journey on foot, and they would have taken things with them, and it would have been very costly. It would have taken a lot of time, and we know that it was very dangerous. In fact, as people would travel, there were thieves along the path that would try to steal for them. And so here you have these group of very well-educated, probably uh, well-to-do men who are going out on this wild goose chase of a journey, if you will. And if you're like me, you're thinking, like, don't they have a life? You know, aren't they satisfied? Aren't they happy? Aren't they comfortable? Don't they have kids to take care of? Like, why would they all of a sudden, not being religious, say, I'm going to go find this prophecy fulfilled? And you know, I think what it was is that they were longing for something more. Have we ever been in our life where we're kind of going through the flow, you know, ebbs and flows of, of life and maybe of ministry or, uh, you know, kids and school and all of these things and work, and it just becomes this routine, and you, you think to yourself, is this really all that there is? You know, I wonder if they were there and, and, and they realized, like, man, there's got to be something out there. 
And so what God would, uh, you know, what we would think in man's eye would be this wild goose chase of these guys just dropping everything to go and find this miraculous Messiah that they're talking about, that God would use it, and he would use the unlikely person, someone who didn't even worship him, to go and to point people to Jesus, to seek the Messiah. So how exactly did God do this? You know, they, they didn't have a map or Siri or even Google Maps. They didn't have those things. And so how on earth would God just say, listen, I want you to go do this? Well, we see in verses 9 and 10 that there's something really miraculous happened. What had happened was is that God took a star and they followed the star until it landed in Bethlehem where Jesus was. And so here's what's interesting about this is that these men, as educated as they were, scholars would say that they were into astrology. And so that they were able to, to, to look at the stars and to be able to see and to, to, to prove things and to, to come up with theories. And so God used an unlikely person, someone who didn't even worship him. The Bible would say that, the, or scholars would say that these were pagan, pagan uh, wise men. And so they weren't worshiping God. And so we, we, we look at this and we think, well, God, you could have used anyone. You could have used, uh, you know, something that was perfect. You could have used someone that was famous. You could have used someone that was holy, that was worshiping you, that, uh, that would bring attention. But God, you didn't do that. And isn't it true and interesting that sometimes God uses the unlikely to point people to Jesus? And here's what's cool about this story. What happened was is that when they came to find Jesus, when they left out, when they were longing for something, and when they said, I'm going to go onto this journey to, to see this prophecy fulfilled, and I'm going to follow this star, and I'm going to use my education, and I'm going to use my time and my talent to go. When they experienced God, the Bible says that they worshiped him. They worshiped him. They came to know him. And so God, in the, the miracle of the Christmas story, used an unlikely couple, three guys. Some would say it's up to 12 guys. He used them to point people to Jesus. You know, what's interesting is this, I believe, shows us that God, that Jesus is a rescuer of all people. You see, that this king that was to come, kings in this time were uh, they were the, the epicenter of everything. They were powerful. They were ruling. They were domineering. They were obeyed. Some kings were worshipped. And so now these wise men who are in this culture are seeking out to find a king that is above and beyond all kings that had gone before them. They were going to find the king of kings and the lord of lords. They were going to find the king of the Jews. But it didn't just stop there, you see, because God is inclusive. And what we see in the Christmas story is that even though God used Jesus to be a rescuer of his people, the Jews, out of Roman oppression, it goes further than that. You see, it goes to you and to me. It goes to the Gentile. It goes to the pagan. It goes to the sinner because God is God of all mankind. And so we see these, uh, these unlikely wise men who were, who were very well-to-do and, and didn't have to leave the comfort of everything, but they were longing for something more, and God used them. You know, I, I don't know how you're feeling today, or, or what you bring, or, or what phase of life that you're in, or what journey that you're on, but maybe uh, you're like someone who feels distant from God, or, or maybe it's that, that you have had a relationship with God and you feel comfortable. 
You know, you're at that point where, you know, things are just kind of going here and there, and, you know, God, he's a part of my life, but he's not everything, and I've kind of got one foot in the world and, and one foot in my relationship with God, and maybe you're just comfortable, and maybe you're here today and you've never experienced a relationship with God, and you're here for a purpose and for a reason. Well, I believe the same God who died for his people, for the Jews, is the same God who died for you and for me wherever we're at in our phase of life. You know, God made sure that the wise men knew how to find Jesus, and he used an unlikely means in an unlikely way to do it. And that star, literally they followed that star all the way to the place where Jesus was born. We talk about an accurate Google map search, right? Be a part of his redemptive plan, and he made sure that they knew and that they would find a way, and out of that would be people experiencing Jesus. They were longing for something more. And I think about this in my own personal life, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing. You know, what is it that you're longing for? What is it that we're longing for in life? Is it, you know, a, a more money? Is it possessions? Is it happiness? Is it joy? Is it a better marriage? Is it a different, you know, workplace? Are we just not satisfied with life and we're always looking for something? Maybe we're looking for the wrong things. You know, one of my favorite verses in scripture is in Jeremiah 29, 13, and it says this. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. See, listen, God says, when you come looking for me, when you seek me, you'll find me. And I think it's similar to what he said to the wise men. You're longing for something. You and your education and and your work and all the things that you've done, I'm going to use that. And I'm going to draw you to me. And so God is saying, listen, if you get serious about your relationship with me, if you give everything to me, if you turn your life over to me, I will not leave you disappointed. What if there was another wise man that, that may, maybe we never heard of? I mean, I think about this sometimes in the Bible as you read stories and you think of all of these things that, that may have happened. And I think, man, what if there was a wise man who didn't go out on the journey? You know, he got preoccupied. Maybe he was satisfied. Maybe he was okay with, with his place and, and his time. Maybe he, he, he just wanted to stay home. Maybe he was lazy. I don't know. But could you imagine what he missed? Could you imagine being these, these men who went off on this journey, this wild goose chase, and then as they were led there, and as God miraculously led them there, and they were face to face with the rescuer of the world, this baby, this miraculous baby, born of a virgin, and what he might have missed in all of those things, witnessing the greatest miracle of all times, the, the rescuer of the world. And my, my prayer is, when we look at a story like the Christmas story that, that's so predictable that we've heard over and over and over again, that we would not lose the heart and the weight and the purpose of the season, and that is Jesus the Messiah who comes to rescue you and me. Thank you, God. Jesus is the greatest gift that we could ever receive, and he is the one who can give us the meaningful life. He is the one that can give us what we're looking for. You see, fortunately, the wise men, they, they sought Jesus. Those who went after him, they sought him, and the, and, and the Bible says they found him, and when they found him, they worshiped him. And that leads us into the the next point is that the wise men demonstrated the true meaning of Christmas by giving to Jesus. You see, it didn't just end there. 
It didn't end that they found them and they had this wonderful party. They went above and beyond. And through their study, they would have known that this prophecy, that this king to come, that this Messiah to come would be the one who would change everything. And so as they went out and they they looked for him, they recognized his kingship. They recognized his authority. They recognized that he was something else. They understood that he was the savior of the world. Now, they didn't know everything about him, but they wanted to know more. In verses 10 and 11, it says that when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. You know, here's what I love about this part of the story. In, in study and research, the, uh, the scholars would say that these wise men were probably like kings themselves, that they had such uh, power and authority and they had uh, you know, so much education that they may as may well have been kings themselves. And so what we see here are men that are very well off to do and they went out on a journey and they found God and their lives were changed. And they descended literally from their position of power and of authority and they bowed down and worshiped a baby. They recognized his kingship, his authority, and they worshiped this child. They knew that despite his infancy that that he was of higher rank, that he was of more power and more prestige. And listen, they could have went there in protest. They could have went there and easily scoffed. They could have went there and said, listen, you guys are all going to worship this baby. Well, you, you have no idea. It's just a baby. We're kings. But instead, they didn't. The Bible says in verse 10 that they were filled with joy. Literally, their lives were changed immediately. Uncontrollable joy. In the presence of a baby, they knew that this was God in the flesh. And it changed everything about them. These distinguished, sophisticated, well-to-do, well-educated, powerful men had their lives changed in the presence of God. And then they bowed down and worshipped him. And so what this would have looked like literally is that they would have gone to Jesus, this baby, in Bethlehem. And they would have gotten down on their knees. We're talking about very, very, very wealthy educated men, and they would have gotten down on their knees, and they would have laid their heads, their foreheads, literally, into the ground, onto the dirt, and they would have worshipped Jesus. But it didn't stop there. In fact, it goes on to say that they gave him gifts. Matthew uh, 2, verse 11, it says, then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, have you ever wondered about these things in the story? Like gold, that's a cool thing. Like that's the one thing I like about Christmas. If you give me an envelope that has the money in it, that's a good thing, right? Like I'm okay with that part of Christmas. And so we get this idea of gold and of value and of monetary things because when we look at those things, we think, yes, that's an awesome, awesome gift. Frankincense, when I was like a little kid in, in Sunday school, I used to think frankincense was Frankenstein. So like I've always in my head thought, you know, gold, Frankenstein, and myrrh. It was just really weird. And then we look at this, this word myrrh. I think we're on the next slide. You can see it in verse 11. This is literally a word. It's M-Y-R-R-H. Like, how do you, what is that? Like, that, that's a word? <laughs> you know, and, and so you look at all of these gifts and you think, 
man, these are bizarre, but you see, these aren't ordinary gifts. These weren't the gifts that the secret Santa drops off in those baked goods that no one wants to eat, right? Like someone thinks they're doing you a nice favor when they drop off those chocolate chip cookies and they taste like rocks, right? Like, don't be that person, you know? Leave money, leave gold if you want to do that. But, like, this wasn't figgy pudding or, like, homemade eggnog. That is disgusting. Do you like eggnog? That is disgusting, right? Bah humbug. But these weren't those gifts. These weren't those types of things. You see, what these were is these were gifts that brought value. They brought value. And what's very interesting is I don't even think that these guys knew that these gifts that they were bringing would end up being prophetic gifts. And listen, these gifts weren't just, you know, little gifts that were on the side or leftovers or what they had left in their pocket. In fact, this was much greater. It says very clearly that they opened up their treasure chests. And do you know what that means? What do we put in treasure chests? We put the things that are most valuable to us, the things that are costly, the things that we want to protect, the things that we want to hold on to and that we always want to open up and see for ourselves. And you see, they went on a mission. They left what was comfortable and they went to look for a child. And they gave what was most valuable to them. They opened up their treasure chest. So they begin to worship God. And they begin to see him for who he is. That this isn't just a baby. This is, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the one that's been prophesied about. And I'm going to give what's costly to me. You know, gold in the ancient world, the most common gift for someone of value or of a king would be gold. And so what, what this is showing is, is they're saying, I'm giving you something that's valuable because you're valuable. And this was emphasizing Jesus as royalty. This was Jesus as king, the king of the universe, the king of us. And so they gave them gold, gave him gold. Frankincense or Frankenstein, whatever you want to say, was used in the Old Testament for an idea of royal processions and offerings to God. And so what would happen is, is royalty would come and you would give them frankincense because this was saying that this is royalty. And, and then what they would do is they would give this to God as a sign of, of, of respect. And so what, what this is emphasizing, frankincense, is that this is emphasizing Jesus, this baby, as God. And then we see myrrh. And myrrh was a spice used in embalming the dead. See, I told you myrrh was weird. But you know what's crazy about this is that the wise men might not have known what was going to happen, but we know the story. The story goes on to say that Jesus was led to the cross, and he died. He died, and he was put into the tomb. And so th this idea that they're giving him myrrh is, is emphasizing that Jesus' humanity and his soon inevitable coming death. You know, these, are, these are, aren't just regular gifts. This was everything that they had. When they acknowledged Jesus, they opened up and they gave him their everything. You know, I think it was more than just the finest gifts. I think it was their lives. They stepped out and they went on a journey of something that they didn't know. And I believe it was because they were longing for something more. And how about us? Like when we ever look at scripture, even this story, what does that mean for us? What do we place of value in our life? What have we allowed into our life that has pushed us away from God? And I think of the little things, the seemingly good things, my family, my kids, you know, my wife, 
my work, all of these things that on the outside, they're, 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 they're good things. But when I elevate those things above God, we've got a problem. And what is it in your life? Fill in the blank. I mean, I know the things that I struggle with that I have to come to the Lord and say, God, anything that I've allowed to come to the surface and take priority in my life over you, I am sorry. You see, God wants everything from us. He doesn't want what's left. I think about this when it comes to to paying bills. You high school age students and and college, college students have to pay bills. But I remember when I was in high school, man, I'd get like 10 bucks and it'd be perfect. I'd go to Del Taco after a football game, and I'd be perfect. I'd be set. You know, now, but, but when you get older, you have to start providing, and, and what happens is we prioritize, don't we? The bills have to get paid. The house mortgage has to get paid. All of these things have to get paid. I got to get from point A to point B, and we put all of those things first. All of our money, everything goes there, and then whatever's left, we give back to God. But here's the truth. Everything that I have is God's. Everything that you have is God's. Your money, your time, the very breath that you breathe comes from the creator of heaven and of earth. And if we are not giving him our first, we've missed it. You see, in the Christmas season, it's easy. We've got to check off the list. We've got to get the gifts. We've got to do all these things. We've got to make sure everyone's happy. Where are you? Where are we? Where am I in my relationship with God? Have I missed the reason for the season? We've talked about the wise men and their role, and as we close, I want to look at one uh, kind of last group of of uh, unlikely characters to bring in uh, the Christmas story, and that leads us to our last point, that the shepherds, these shepherds demonstrated the true meaning of Christmas by sharing Jesus. Have you ever seen uh, the the movie, it's kind of like a TV series, Dirty Jobs, anybody ever watch that? It's not no longer there anymore. It's kind of this crazy thing where he goes and does all the jobs that nobody wants to do. And I think the first season he, he went and cleaned out the sewers. You know, he went and dug garbage. And he did all these crazy things with animals, just like weird stuff. And you don't think it could possibly get worse, right? But it keeps getting worse. Well, we come here and this job, the job of a shepherd, was worse. This job was very difficult. They worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They went wherever the animals went. They, they were lonely. Uh, this was before deodorant and cologne, and so they began to smell like those that they were with. And they were nomads, and so they would go from place to place. They didn't have a, a place to lay their head because they were going to the next watering hole or they were going to the next place for, for their livestock to graze. And so this became a very lonely life of a, a, a loner. And no one wanted to be a shepherd. They were made fun of. They were looked down upon. In fact, a shepherd wasn't even able to testify in court because they were so despised. Even worse than that, they weren't even able to go where all the other worshipers of God would go because they were so unclean. In fact, we see in Genesis where, uh, 46 where it says that every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Now, this was not a job that you wanted. This was a dirty job. And so here we see God showing up again, using someone very unlikely to point people to Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. And so here you have these guys that are loners, that are lonely, that nothing crazy out of the norm would have happened. Then all of a sudden, God shows up and changes their life. 
I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I can relate to these guys. I mean, I might not have a, a dirty job, but, but I would be terrified if God just showed up. And that's what they did. You would think that they would be, God, he's, he's, he's looking at me, and I have value now, and oh, you know, God's going to use me. But that's not what they did. The Bible says that they were terrified. It goes on to say in verse 10 through 12, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. This is the story that we've all heard. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. You know what? No one ever would bring good news to the shepherds. In fact, no one ever wanted to see them. But you see, God, God sees something different in all of us. And listen, if God can go to the ones that were despised, if God can go to the ones that no one would think that they would be used, and if God can elevate them and he can use them to point people to Jesus, God can use you and me. You know, wherever you're at in your life, if you feel insignificant, if you feel, you know, you know invaluable, if you feel fill in the blank, or maybe, maybe you feel too good to tell people, or maybe you're good in your relationship with God, listen, we have missed it. We have missed it. And so what's this good news that they're talking about? The good news is that Jesus left the glory of heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, something that none of us could do. He did no wrong. In fact, the Bible says he did everything right. And what he did is that he was charged and accused of sin as a sinner. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. And you see, he gladly went to the cross gave up his life, and he died for you and me so that we could have our eternity impacted, so that we could be in relationship with him again. Verse 16, we'll end with this. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard, all who heard what the shepherds said were astonished. These, these guys aren't the kind of guys that go and tell people about Jesus. <laughs> They're not the kind of people that go and tell people anything because they know that it's embarrassing, that it's difficult, that, that it's going to come w- probably with, with people saying things and, and being rude and all of these things. But you see, what happened was is they experienced Jesus, and what they did was they went and they told everybody about him. They told everyone about the good news. They didn't hesitate or, or procrastinate. They had their lives changed, and they wanted everyone to know that Jesus was here, that the Messiah was here. And the Bible says that when they opened up and they shared, that everyone was astonished. People were impacted. They were pointed to Jesus. In the next two days, leading up to the, the Christmas season, you and I have the incredible opportunity to tell people about Jesus to give them the greatest gift that they could ever receive on the Christmas season, and that is a life-changing, life-altering, life-saving, eternal, life-giving gift that is free for them. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he raised from the dead, you will be saved. You see, that's a free gift. That's a gift that you don't deserve, but God came to this earth in the baby Jesus, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died and defeated death, rose to life so that you and I can have eternal life and spend it with him. 
please do not miss out on the opportunity. Number one, to accept that if you haven't. We'd love to share with you how to do that. And number two, that you have people in your sphere of influence, in your life, that need to hear about the love of Jesus. And you can invite them, very easily invite them to the Christmas Eve service. Or, if you're comfortable, you can tell them about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for today and for what you mean for us. Thank you, God, that you use the unlikely to point people to you. God, thank thank you that that you would humbly use me. And God, there are so many people in this room that you've touched and that you've used and and that you will continue to use because of your goodness. And so, God, I just pray that that we would understand and recognize a, a simple story as this that we've heard over and over and over again, that it's so much more than just a story, that, God, it's a life changer. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.